stop being so obsessed with the physiology. There's a great line, and I actually got this from Laurie Lawrence years and years ago. Never put heart before heart rate. It's a great line. Mm. And, and the concept is that it's easy to become slaves to the physiology and say, right, guys, it's 2100s, 145, uh, heart rate monitors on, make sure your heart rate is between a range of 150 and 175. And it's easy to become slaves and blinded by the numbers because it's easy to see. But I'm saying to coaches now, look, if you see an opportunity and a moment to change your heart, not a heart rate, but a heart, if you see a coachable moment, an opportunity in the middle of a set, feel very comfortable pulling a swimmer out on deck for one minute and having a quiet questioning conversation. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Wayne, thanks very much for being on the, the podcast. You're probably a regular guest at least once a year. I, I like to have you on because there's always so much that I learn, and I know that the people listening get so much out of it as well, especially those that are coaching. But even if you're not a coach, I, I think the stuff that you teach is great as an athlete especially if you're training in a, a squad or, or with a club, there's a lot that, that people can get from the stuff that, that you teach. And we were talking just earlier that it's not necessarily the, the, the technical stuff that, that you like to focus on. It's the, the stuff around that, the soft skills. And, uh, and what, are you sort of work, what have you been working with athletes and squads on uh, lately over the last three to six months since we last spoke? Oh, thanks, mate. It's always great to be on the show and like, congratulations on the great work you continue to do on technique it's it's whenever i see your stuff it's just so practical and applied and and works universally with swimmers everywhere and it you know i i like anyone in any business you're looking for a point of difference and you know when i look at people like you and I, there's so many brilliant technicians in swimming and there, there's a lot of people talking about technique and skill development and so on and you know, I, I, I've got some background in swimming and I've, I've uh, got some ideas around technique and skill. But, you know, the more I was out there, I think, well, what can I actually do that's that's going to add value to what great technicians like yourself and other coaches are doing? And increasingly, well, you know, once we get swimmers understanding the what of technique and they understand about pressure on the water and feel and, the importance of rhythm and balance and all that. Once they've got an understanding of that, all right, so what what do we do to build on that? And increasingly, mate, when I talk to coaches and swimmers around the world and, and athletes in a lot of sports, it comes down to the way they do what they do in training day to day. And the most exciting thing I think I've been doing in the last few months since we last chatted is really around talking to coaches and directly to swimmers about, you know, what – what words like excellence actually look like in the pool and what does it look like to have a winning workout or what does it look like to have a team-focused swimming program? You know, that's that's where I think the breakthrough for me is coming. I'm really enjoying talking to people about those things. Mm. And you've worked with so many different clubs and across so many different sports as well. And I, I'm assuming that those things really stand out with the – with the successful clubs and teams that you, you work with? Is that something that you feel and that you notice when you go into those those organisations? 
you, you do, mate. It's funny. It, the, the word you've just used there is right. It's feel. You, you walk in and I think within five or ten minutes, there's a – it's almost an energy, you know. It's almost a, a passion or an enthusiasm or a, a, a you feel a connection between people. There, there's something there that that is almost tangible. And mm. uh, even earlier this year, I was in the U.K., and I got to go and spend a little bit of time with uh, Eddie Jones with English rugby. I was, did a little bit of work up with Irish rugby and with some swimming teams in different countries. And, you know, you, you, get, uh, you get a vibe. You get a, um, um, something that actually says, look, there's an energy going on here. There's something special about this environment. And then when you try to pinpoint it, what keeps coming out is things like they're encouraging each other, sure, the communication between each other, doing the little things right. Uh, you know, training is supposed to start at 8 a.m. and you see them arrive at 7.15 and not just getting ready themselves but helping other teammates to get ready. And, you know, you, you can feel that. It's almost electric and it applies to every sport and, and absolutely in swimming. Mm. Is it – and I guess the the question there is, well, how how does someone go about creating that sort of atmosphere and that feeling environment in their team if they're in a team that doesn't have that at all? Is it something that can be turned around? And if it, it can be turned around, what sort of time frame are, are people looking at? Yeah, my two excellent questions, and and the the process that I use, and it's on my websites, and and I'm happy to share it with you and the listeners, but basically when I start out, I sit down with a coach and say, obviously, what are you trying to do? And that could be a coach who said, look, I just want to have more kids coming and swimming and having a great time. Well, then what they're saying is I want to create a culture. I want to build an environment based on fun, friendships, family, enjoyment, engagement. And that's a really valid culture because I think, mate, quite often, Brendan, when, when we start talking about the culture of a team, immediately we assume, well, that's about excellence and winning and drive and determination and glory and all, but it doesn't have to be you could be a coach who says i want my my culture of my team to be based on friendships family uh, team development connection between people positivity all those great things and you you set out to build that or of course if you decide that you're about excellence and exceptional performance and being the best that you can be, that's also very valid as well. And so I asked the coach, what is it you're actually trying to come up with? Then we bring the athletes in, sometimes all the athletes, but if it's a football team, always all the players come in. But it might only just be the leaders or the older athletes if you're talking about a swim team or an athletics team or so on. And we start talking about that concept, about either passion, performance, winning success or whatever it might be. And we try to nail it down to some clear values. And most commonly, you'll hear words like, uh, we want to be known by, our trademark should be. We want other people to think about these words or these things when they see us, words like uh, professional or hardworking or committed or dedicated or honest or, or respectful or whatever. The words are not that critically important. And everybody goes through that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening in their corporate world have even had to go in and do those days where they come up with mission statements and all those things. But the critical thing is, Brenton, is whatever the values are, 
is I then say to coaches, all right, what does your values look like? What do they look like when you're training in the pool, when you're doing dry land training on meet day, and then what I group as self-management and social situations. So what do your values, what does it actually look like? What are the behaviours that bring those values to life around diet and sleep and recovery? And mate, this is really the, the, it's critical to do this step. And it's because so much of what we do is measurable. So we measure heart rate, we measure laps, we measure strokes, we measure speed. And it's easy then to say, guys, we're going to go faster or we're going to change the time cycle or we're going to do another workout. And what gets measured gets done because you can see it. And the swimmers go, yes, I understand. Stroke count needs to be 42 strokes for this lap. I get it, I get it, I get it. The biggest challenge for us when we're doing this stuff is to say, I need to bring a theme like honesty into the real world so that the behaviours that bring honesty to life are so real and so tangible that it's as real as speed and power and endurance and sets and reps and so on. Mm. So what we do is the, the team, they've come up with the values and we've come up, we said, all right, one of your values might be the word uh, team. We're about team and working together. All right, what are the behaviours that would show me that you're a team when you're in the pool? What are behaviours that you will live? What are the sort of behaviours that you will live when you're in the gym? That would say to me, we are a team. So I get the athletes to identify the actual behaviours that to them will say, this is who we are, this is what we're about. And the, the two reasons I do that is, first of all, if, it, if you can sit, you can feel, you can do it, so if it becomes real, individual swimmers can then take responsibility for their own living of those behaviours. And the other swimmers in the team can keep them accountable for those behaviours. So responsibility is about me, accountability is about we. And by bringing those, those seemingly unmeasurable, intangible things to life so they can be seen and they can be lived and swimmers take responsibility for their own behaviours and the team keep them accountable to those behaviours, then the culture turns around. I think I think I was very lucky to grow up and and swim in a squad that where we had a lot of these things in place. So um, as you know, my dad was my coach, and uh, he was really really good at developing a, a great team culture. And so just some of those, I guess, uh, tangible values or the way that you apply those values, uh, he did very well. So like some of those things was like just in a in a main set encouraging the swimmers in your lane or the swimmers next to you and working together as a, as a team that way. It's not just about the times that, that you're doing. You want to encourage your, your teammates to, to do well in that set. Other ones are at, at different meets like country championships. Everyone was encouraged to, to go, and watch, go and watch everyone else swimming when you're not racing. And if you're not warming up or cooling down, be there in the stands cheering for everyone else. And, uh, and that created a really good, good environment because if, if you're there racing, you're behind the blocks, they announce your name and you've got 30 of your teammates there cheering you on, you really want to do well. That's so much better than if there's 30 swimmers who aren't there. They don't care that you're competing. You, it, it just means a whole lot, lot more. So even those, those things that you know, might not necessarily be all about performance, you know, that, that 
team building and good culture, they lead to, to good performance. And I think it's like you can ha- you can be an Andre Agassi, you can completely hate the sport and hate what you're doing and still do well, but that's not going to keep people around in the sport and that's not going to have those swimmers who might be B or C level swimmers, that's not going to make them rise up through the, through the ranks because they don't want to be a part of it. So I think all these, these things that... Um, that you're talking about they do lead to to better performance and i'm sure that's something that you see day in day out well that's i mean that's a great point about uh being in a culture where people care about each other i was was talking to a high performance team earlier in the year and the coach asked me to a professional rugby team and they asked me to talk to the players about some of the key themes of success in high performance and and I said, well, guys, words like um, uh, determination, will to win, all those things, yeah, sure, we're, we're familiar with that. Uh, ruthless execution, uh, hard work, I mean, all those things. If you – that routinely people will talk about the cornerstones of high performance and uh, dedication, commitment, perseverance, resilience, they're all important words. Just as important are words like love and care and consideration and and honestly i'll tell you why and they go together so that if i say for example we're going to be the greatest swimming team triathlon team that's ever walked the earth and we have all these values these hard values if you like around commitment and dedication and all those things when we're actually swimming when we're running riding when we're training as a team we need to back that up with not just saying, well done, high five, hey man, keep it up, great work. I need to be able to look at my teammate in the eyes and say, man, that's not good enough. You need to do that again because I'm not let you fail. And I have a conversation about performance, but based on a caring, respectful, but still a compromising and honest way of doing things. And the team's Brendan, that I see are exceptional, are able to do that because, you know, normally if I come up to you and say, Brendan, it's no good, do it again, and we have no relationship, you go, well, who the bloody hell are you to tell me that? I'm not going to listen to you. How dare you say those things to me? If you're in a team, though, where there's a genuine spirit of caring for each other, where I desperately want you to succeed as much as you do and you feel the same about me, then I can say, man, you didn't finish on the wall. That's not good enough. We're going to national champs. We need to do every lap as if it's a perfect lap. Now, you and I are going to stay back. So that's the accountability thing. I'm going to, you and I are going to stay back and we're going to do 20 finishes perfectly because, man, I will not let you fail because I need to see you succeed. I want to see you succeed because, man, you're a friend of mine. You know, once teams have broken down the barriers to real honesty, then they're leading the standard of the workout from the water. If it's still, if you're a coach and you're still walking around a group of swimmers who say, yes, coach, I want to go to state champs, I want to go to nationals, I want to finish an Ironman, whatever it is, if you're still walking around the pool and saying, finish on the wall, don't breathe inside the flags, don't breathe first stroke, kick your legs underwater, if you're still walking around saying those things hundreds and thousands of times a year, you have to rethink. Because all of those things in a functioning team need to be driven from the water by the swimmers. And I think there's a bit of a myth, Brenton, that, that 
we've handed over ownership of swimming to the swimmers and it's somehow, uh, uh, you know, we're giving them permission or we're allowing them the right work. That's not right. What's actually happening in the swimming teams that are, are making a huge difference is the swimmers get this importance of culture and they get this importance of, of, of that integration of commitment and honesty and that combination of relentless desperation to win with caring and love and kindness to each other. And they're getting it. And all they're doing is leading the standards from the water. They're saying, this is the standard that we expect if you want to be part of this team. Mm. And if coaches can build that, they become unstoppable. You know, they, 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 they combine the, the stuff that you do so well, that the technical feel of the water, connection with the water, understanding how to move through water. If they combine that technical and skill side with this um, ownership, this responsibility model of how the swimmers live that in the water, the team becomes unstoppable. You can't have one without the other. You can't just be brilliant technically but have a terrible culture and an awful standards and a team that's constantly fighting and being selfish. And you just can't have the culture without the technique and the technical side. You've still got to work and you've still got to train and you've got to do kick work. You've still got to do the, the technical, tactical, strategic stuff. That's critically important. But, you know, if you can combine what I call those hard elements of swimming with these soft skills, you become an unstoppable force. Mm. And one of the articles that... I think you sent to me that you'd, you'd written, this was probably a year ago, 18 months ago, was about, uh, was about Bill Sweetenham and is, you know, is Bill Sweetenham, Sweetenham still the same coach that he was 20 years ago? And you went and did a, attended a, a workout or maybe a couple of workouts uh, with Bill when he was coaching recently. And you, you wrote this article about, about your experience and, and what Bill was doing. And uh, for those listening, Bill Sweetenham is just basically a legendary coach over the last, I don't know how many years, 20, 30 years. And uh, I'd attended, what's that, sorry? 100 years. 100 years, yeah, that's probably closer to it. But he, uh, like I, I've, I've probably done two or three sessions with him when I was, I was like, I don't know, nine, 12, and then maybe 15. Like he came and, and coached our group um, back when I was, when I was younger. And, um, and this article that you had, had written really changed the way that I coached. And the, the biggest thing I got out of it was that to be a bit, to be, to be a good coach, you're not there to like, yes, you've got to direct the sessions, all of that. But if you're just there yelling and drill, yelling at the swimmers, drilling them the whole time, that's not having them take responsibility for and, and ownership and, and learning what they actually need to do and getting them to think for themselves. So what, uh, what you wrote really well and described really well in this article was that Bill's asking them the questions to get them to come up with the, the answers for what, how they can get better. For example, in a set, let's say the swimmer goes, you know, a second slower than where they need to be for, for a 50. And he's not saying you need, you need to go faster, you know, get it under 32 seconds. No, he's, he's saying, what can you do to, take a second off this off this time what can you do better what can you change and just putting the the ownership on them and having them need to you know, think about what it is that that they can change and just all these series of questions asking better questions to the athlete gets them to to take that on and i think that's that's something that i've i've seen a huge difference in in my coaching um, and I, I've sort of done that a little bit in the past but that really just showed it in a, in a way that made it really clear and i, I think uh, and the the reason for that too was that it was told in a in a story like you're 
basically just explaining what Bill was doing. It wasn't you saying, this is what you need to do as a coach. No, you, you showed it in a story. And, and that's a really good way for people to take on take on lessons. And I think the same goes for, you know, as a, as a coach, if you can just um, share examples or, or share stories of other swimmers, other people, uh, you know, maybe someone who, who did a great breakout in their last last uh, turn in a 200 butterfly at, at the Olympics and that won them the race. Like that's how someone's going to go, be going through a training session and they're going to go, yeah, maybe if I can do that last turn in my 200 butterfly really well, that might, that might get me up there um, towards the front. So I, I learned a lot from that just one article and it was, it was really well written. So uh, I want to thank you for, for writing that article and and with that article or spending time with Bill, what was it for you that um, that sort of sh- stood out uh, and what had changed for, for Bill over the last, say, 20 or 30 years in, with his coaching? Well, Bill's been a mentor of mine for, I don't know, 30 years or so and uh, just always challenges me. Just when I think I've got him nailed and I understand him, uh, he'll throw a curveball because he's been working with uh, motor racing or something and he's learned something. and. I mean, just he's a phenomenal learner, Brenton. But a couple of things that I got from Bill, and and one is that problem solving is an incredibly powerful learning tool. So you know, even if you're learning something simple like maths, is you can go two plus two is four, four plus four is eight, eight plus eight is sixteen, and you can learn it by rote, which is basically what we've tried to do in swimming for mm. a long time. We're just do more and more and more and more, and the swimmers sooner or later will pick it up. But then if you look at what happened to you after you learned basic arithmetic, the teacher said, all right, if you had two apples and someone bought you another two apples, how many apples would you? So, you know, this this thing of getting your brain to go from just data to pictures of apples, okay, I can see that now. And then, then the teacher revolves further and says, all right, if you had a bag of apples and you wanted four, how could you get them out of the bag and look? You know, so you start getting people, oh, how would I actually do that? And you, you, that you start that inquiring mindset. And what I noticed a lot with Sweden, and he's moved to that, and I talk about when I'm doing my clinics and things, I, I talk about you want to have swimmers not asking what, but what if. So not saying, what do we do next, coach? You know, what's next? What's the next session, coach? What's the next set, coach? You want them saying what if. And it's, it's a subtle difference. But what I mean is that, that you present that instead of saying, okay, guys, uh, today we're going to do uh, 15 100s on 215 um, and I want everybody to hold 10 seconds off their best time. Well, that's that's a what. What you want the swimmers doing is going, what if I cut my strokes down by two per lap? What if I breathed every four? What if I didn't breathe on my first three strokes? What if I didn't breathe last five? What about if I finished left-hand forward, ear on shoulder, looking at the bottom of the pool? What if, as I get to the last 25, I start building my kick and kick to the wall? You know, th- that you want that to happen, Brennan, because and as they evolve, whatever set they do, if they, they you can shift them from a what, as in what do I do, just tell me, I don't care, I'm just going to do it, to being a thinking swimmer a thinking athlete going, you know, what if I only breathed on my right side? What if I, if they get to that stage where they're, if you like, they're almost setting workouts within workouts. They're setting their own little workout standards within your your, your, your coaching environment where they're asking more of themselves 
than you asked of them. If they get that, mate, it's so powerful. And that's the lesson I got from Bill is that, you know, he got to the end of a set of hundreds. Then the old Bill, what I used to call the war horse, Bill would stand up and say, is that what you call swing? If you want to be any bloody good, you'll do this. I can't believe, get out and do another five, you know, and that was Bill probably 1970s, 1980s even, and even to the 1990s to a degree. But you could start to see some subtle changes. He was doing a lot of reading. He'd spent time in Hong Kong. He was exposed to a lot of confusion, no well, confusion as well, but Confucius uh, philosophy and Sun Tzu philosophy. And and he, his mind had broadened from just this relentless commitment to hard work to understanding human beings. And, and I know he was a different, he was a different guy after that period. But you know, he continues to evolve. And so, you know, he was in this situation where he walked to the side of the pool and a young athlete, a talented young athlete, had done a great job. But then instead of Bill giving them the fight and die for the flag routine, which was what I call old Bill, Bill said, I've got a question for you. Rate your workout. This is, I think Katie Ledecker we know does this uh, regularly with, with uh, certainly with a previous coach, is that they would just talk about if you had to rate your workout now or rate your training set right now, what would you do? And the athlete said, oh, it's about a 7 out of 10. And then Bill would say, um, well, if you wanted the workout to be 8 or 9 out of 10, what do you think you'd do differently? And she said, oh, well, what I would have done um, was I would have gone a little bit faster, I would have done this. And Bill said, great idea. Why don't you give that a try? And so the coach and the swimmer become partners in the performance and, and they become, through their relationship, they become a, a pair of people trying to help the athlete be all that. And it's a different I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of swimming coaches don't make that jump and maybe can't make that jump because it's easier just to say, do another five on a faster time cycle hmm. than it is to go up and spend a minute with a swimmer eyeball to eyeball and say, what do you think you can do? How do you think you could do that? If you would change anything, what would you? It's hard to do that, mate, and it takes more time, mm. but it's a much, much more powerful coaching tool. And I, having sort of changed my the, the way I coach over the last 18 months or so after, after reading that, it, it takes a bit of time to get your head around what are the right questions to ask and also you're obviously going to work differently with different swimmers. But um, once I started to get a better sense of what, what questions I could ask them to get them to, to think differently about the way they're training and, and get them to come up with those, um, those answers on their own, it, it's a much more enjoyable way to coach because then you're, you're not going there and like you're, you're not operating at a, a 9 out of 10 in terms of like your, your, your aggression and um, being a hard-ass coach. No, it's like I feel that when I'm, when I'm coaching, and this is probably more just my personality, but you know, I can sit at like a, just a, you know, be, I can be calm uh, the, the whole session and just be in a kind of a, a good place working with the swimmers, trying to get them to get the most out of themselves. And it's not like it's just yell, 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 go, go, go. Cause that's not, for me, I don't, I don't enjoy that type of coaching. I, I bring it on when, when we need to. And I think there's a time and place for it. But if you're doing that 10 sessions a week for two hours every time, you're going to burn out as a coach and you're probably going to come to resent the, the work that you're doing. Whereas um, when, you, when you're operating from this place of your, your partners with the swimmer, I, I find that so much more enjoyable as a coach and then it's a much better environment overall. 
Yeah, and it's oh, it's a, a made a wonderful um, progression in your coaching because it it, it is it is a, a ostensibly coaching is an energy sapping experience if you do it the old way. If you do it this way, you're walking off there going, you know, wow, Julie got that tonight. She understood that, and not only that, she did something completely surprised me. You know, you end up getting energy from the session because mm-hmm. you've walked away and going, well. I've made a difference today. I've actually made an impact on that on those swimmers, and you know that, that is, and it takes time. But what I what I, I I'm trying to talk to the coaches about more and more is to say physiology is important. Sure, you've got to do the work. We'd never debate that, but stop being so obsessed with the physiology. There's a great line, and I actually got this from Laurie Lawrence years and years ago. Never put heart before heart rate it's a great line Hmm. and and the concept is that it's easy to become slaves to the physiology and say right guys it's 2100s 145 uh, heart rate monitors on make sure your heart rate is between a range of 150 and 175 and it's easy to become slaves and blinded by the numbers because it's easy to see but i'm saying to coaches now look if you see an opportunity and a moment to change a heart, not a heart rate, but a heart. You see a coachable moment, an opportunity in the middle of a set, feel very comfortable pulling a swimmer out on deck for one minute and having a quiet questioning conversation. So, man, how's the workout going? Yeah, great, coach. Right, What's that, three seconds to ask that question and get the answer? Say, I've just been watching the way you're coming off the wall that first 25 metres. What does that feel like? Oh, yeah, it doesn't feel too bad. I'm looking at your kick. You know, you're taking about eight to ten kicks underwater. How do you think it'd feel if you did uh, eight kicks in three seconds? Well, do you think that's worth having a crack at? What do you think? Yeah, that'd be good. I might try that on the next one, Coach. Great idea. Get back in. 30 seconds. Mm. In that time, their heart rate dropped a little bit. Who cares, Brenton? Who cares? If you're really that obsessed with the physiology, ask them to do another two at the end. But, you know, we're, we're... We've been blindsided, and I'm a physiologist by training originally, so I can talk ill of my people, that <laughs> we've become so obsessed with the numbers that all oh, the criminal, the, the, the greatest crime you can commit as a swimming coach is to allow their heart rate to drop below that zone because once it's there, there's no training effect. Well, what about training their heart and their spirit uh, and their emotion and their attitude and their values and their character and there's so much more to training a human being than just worrying that their heart rate stays in a particular zone. And it's not that accurate anyway. And so, look, I implore coaches, if you see a moment, even if you're doing an aerobic set, of it doesn't matter. If you see a critical coaching moment where you could make a difference to a human being, blow the heart rate. Who cares? Get them out, touch their heart, connect with them, listen to them, share with them, challenge them, get them to go, bang, what if I did this, what if I did that, and then put them back in the pool. And, you know, those little less than a minute to maybe change the way they train for the rest of their life over making sure they stay in a heart rate zone for another couple of minutes, Hmm. no comparison. It's it's so different. You know, one of the lines I've stolen from Bill, and I'm quite happy to credit Bill. He says, training is from the neck down. Training is, that's arms, legs, body, 
that's but coaching is from the neck up. If you're a trainer, if you're just standing at the end of the pool, yelling time cycles, writing out workouts, giving them giving them feedback on speed to the wall or whatever it is, if you're a trainer, you'll go a long way as a coach, but you'll get to a point where because you're not making that connection with them as human beings, you're not understanding who they are, you're not building those relationships, you'll go no further. Once you understand that real coaching is from the neck up, training is neck down, once you get the coaching is from the neck up and your focus is connecting with them as people, everything changes for you and it makes the training more effective in any case. Mm. Yeah, it's... uh... I had uh, two guests on uh, from Surf Lifesaving, had uh, Harriet Brown and uh, Josh Minogue. So both competing at the the highest level of Surf Lifesaving. And they were both, both of them mentioned similar things, which was basically it's at the very top level, it's pretty much all mental. You know, they're all pretty much as fit as one another. And so much of it is, is the mental side of things and how you approach a, how you approach a race and what you think about yourself and, uh, and especially when it comes down to to crunch time, those those decisions like Harriet, for example, she does the uh, Molokai to Oahu, uh, Oahu um, paddle, which is like a I think it's a 40, 42 or fifty two kilometer paddle from island to island. And she said uh, with about two hours to go, uh, she her shoulder was hurting. She just wanted to give up, wanted to get back in the boat. And her mind was telling her it doesn't like no one will care, no one will mind if you if you quit if you give up like. The shoulder, my shoulder's hurting. It's probably just going to do more damage, and uh, and no one will care if I if I jump out. And that's what her mind was telling her. But it's at that that critical point where you can either get out or you can keep pushing. And she eventually she kept pushing, and she went on to to win the event. But it's and I think that's the accumulation of years and years and years of training your mind, making the right decisions, and and having good coaches who can help steer you in that in that direction. Because you know, had uh, had she not had the the right uh, mental, um, I guess, mental fortitude to be able to to, to make that decision and, and ignore what what a little that little voice was saying, then uh, she wouldn't have have kept going. And uh, Josh was the same thing. He was uh, he'd had a lot of sort of years and years of being successful, but never quite at the the top. And it it was about seven years from when he first started to when he actually got he got a win in uh, in surf ironman and it's uh and it's just that ability to sort of push through and I, I think that it really just comes down to training the the mind and training them as teaching people how to to be better better people and and better to others because as you said like the you know the the physical aspect of things look that's that's going to come uh but it, it's ignoring i i think really the the biggest and the most important part of it which is the the mental side of things it, isn't it funny? I, 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 what you say, I, I agree with completely. But I find it fascinating that for the majority of coaches, that they split the training of the mind and the training of the body. So they'll get the kids in the pool, they'll do the the physical work and the skills and drills and so on. But then they'll leave the stuff to maybe team meetings or to seminars or. Uh, getting someone in who's been an athlete or a sports psych, and they separate it. But the reality is everything physical has to have a mental component, everything. And what I've started saying to coaches is, you know, when you write your workout on the board, so, you know, 
you're going to go uh, 20, 50 is a fly on 130. So you've got the volume, which is 20, 50s. You've got the intensity, which whatever speed you set. And, you know, you've got the frequency of the, the, the session or frequency of the set. Whatever. So, you know, we're constantly looking at these physiological variables, volume, intensity, frequency. Next to that, you've seriously got to write the letter M about what's the mental lesson I'm trying to teach here. Am I trying to teach relaxation? Am I trying to teach uh, confidence? Am I trying to teach visualisation? What am I trying? You know, you, every time you write anything physical, in the next column, you've really got to say, and the mental, I have this volume, intensity, frequency, and relaxation. Volume, intensity, frequency, and confidence. Volume, intensity, frequency, and mental toughness. That everything you do, has got to have some sort of, of, of mental component. And you know, I know you and I, we, we did a, a, a recording a couple of years ago on speed, and, uh, and I still use the same technique um, that when I talk to people about speed, I say, guys, as fast as you can, but very smooth and relaxed. Guys, maximum speed, this needs to be race pace, but easy, relaxed, comfortable. I know you use effortless, but, you know, you, you, so what you're saying is, I have to marry the physiology with the mental, emotional, psychological effects in everything we do. Or, you know, so guys, we're going to do four, four hundreds. It's aerobic work, smooth, relaxed and flowing, concentrating on deep, easy, relaxed, inhale and exhale. Nice, soft hands. Guys, as smooth and as easy. You know, so again, you're saying physiologically, what is it, 60, 65, 70% intensity, volume is 400 metres, rest cycle, that's that's critical. But then I'm saying, guys, but mentally and emotionally, a way to connect to this set, I want you to be thinking about and feeling smooth and breathing and relaxing or practising some mindfulness techniques or whatever it is. I think if coaches do something as simple as that, everything physical I write down, the next column, write down what is the mental thing volume intensity frequency mind what am i going to do mentally with this and and at all ages and it could start as young as you can to break this this physiology only thinking cycle that we're so locked into mm. yeah it's, I've, I've noticed a big difference with with that when i've introduced it to to sessions so two examples there um, there's these two kids uh, local kids that I've, I've been coaching uh, once or twice a week and we were doing some 25s at 100 meter pace and first set was 16 25s uh, i think they're on mate say 35 seconds and the aim is to to hit 100 meter pace with each of them and and what i said to them at the start of that set i said look after you know, maybe eight nine 25s you're going to start to to feel a bit heavy you're going to start to to feel the burn a bit uh, but your, your challenge is what what we want to do here is try and make every single lap, every single 25, exactly the same. Same amount of kicks off the wall, same amount of strokes, same same time and and do that when you start to fatigue because that's what you're going to experience. That's what you're probably going to feel when you're racing. But if you can keep your, your technique and that stroke count, if you can keep it all the same in the last six, seven 25s, then that's the, that's the purpose of this workout. That's what's going to help you when it comes to the race. So explaining that, when they when they got to that point when they started to feel like oh all right I'm starting to get heavy and I don't know if I can hold it, they knew that was coming and then they know 
they know what the, the purpose of, of what we're doing is. And so they're at, they held those 25s really well. And another example was when we were at Hell Week over in Thailand, uh, the last set that we do on the last day is, it's a Dennis Cottrell set, it's 40, 40 50s, where we go 16 every fourth fast, 12 every third, eight every second, and then the last four are all fast. And um, most, those swimmers who hadn't done it before, every time when someone does that the first time, they, they go too fast at the start. So those, those easy, 50s they tend to just put too much into it and the fast ones they go too fast so um, what we preface those workouts with is that make sure that those easy ones are, are just steady you're relaxed you're meant to be getting your rest there and then those those initial fast 50s you don't want to burn all of your matches straight away you'll still find you can go fast by still sitting at like an eight out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10. So just letting them know upfront how it will feel early on. And then that's gonna help you just maintain that speed. And um, and we, and we, there's probably the best set of that that we've done over the course of the last five years. And I, I think a, a big part of that was just prefacing um, what to what to expect and uh and and then having them know the yeah i guess the the, the mental side of things or the, the mental outcome that we're looking to to achieve there and uh it's and that's why like i, I really enjoy i really like I, i've always loved coaching but i love learning this the stuff that that you teach because it really gives me something else to think about rather than just the workout rather than just the set because yes that's important and it's fun to it's enjoyable to to come up with good and interesting sets and different ways to to train them but really the the, the most enjoyable thing is watching people grow and, and become more confident and to um and to become better people as a result of of hopefully what uh what they can learn in, in a workout or what they can learn from training yeah, mate, that's such a critical lesson. And, and like you say, Brendan, it's, it's rewarding. You know, you, and you could, I think we have an opportunity in those moments where they then walk away from the pool. I'm a, I strongly believe then there's a carry-on to other parts of their life. You know, a, an athlete that can do that, can do that 40-50 set in the way that, that's really intended and they buy into it and, and they show the discipline and the commitment and the, the, the ability to deal with pain and discomfort. What is there in their life that's going to be an obstacle to them? If, they, if they're a student, they're going to study a little bit longer or there's nothing else that they're going to face that they're then not before. They say, well, actually, yeah, I've walked. It's, you know, it's just like people who climb mountains or achieve anything in life is that I think that then builds so they get this, well, yeah, okay, I, what did I learn? Well, sure, I learned how to swim a bit, but I learned that I can do anything I set my mind to, that I can overcome adversity, that I can deal with pain, that I can overcome discomfort, that, I, that they start developing, you know, that what, what I call that, that uh, core of developing confidence, which is I can, I can, I can, I can. And I often say to swimmers, we talk a lot about confidence in uh, the, the work that I do on, I say confidence comes from cans. I can, I can, I can, I can. And that like everybody, we've all got those two voices going on in our heads all the time that you've got the voice saying, I can, I can, I can, I can. And the other voice saying, no, you can't. This is national champs. You've never done a half Ironman before, whatever it might be. And and those two voices are battling in their head. And it's exactly the same. Whereas, yes, I can do this exam. No, I can't do this exam. Mm. Uh, yes, I can achieve this goal. And you've everyone on the planet has got those little voices competing and it's the sum of the experiences where you go, I can, I can, I can. This little voice over here says, I can't, I can't. 
And this other side says, well, hang on a minute. I was in hell week. I did 40, 50s, and I did that, and I go to the gym every day, and I watch my diet, and I get to bed early. I can, I can, I can. And this voice over here becomes the I can't voice, becomes very soft. It becomes a whisper because through your behaviours and through your actions and the things that you've learnt, you become effectively bulletproof. You become someone that every time you face what's seemingly a, a, a difficult obstacle, the I can voice is shouting while the I can't voice is just whispering and you start to believe that anything is possible. And, and you know, and a lot of work I do now with, with swimmers and swim teams is, is around things like how do you coach confidence? Well, you can coach confidence by giving swimmers experiences in and out of the water that build on that, yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can. So they go to their first meet or they go to a big target meet and the other voice starts to creep in, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. But the overwhelming can of evidence, success comes in cans, I can, that the overwhelming can of evidence is full of those experiences that have just reinforced to the athlete that there's nothing they can't do. And again, that, that comes back to, I'm giving ostensibly a physical set of physiological challenge of 40, 50s, but what is the mental and emotional purpose behind me doing that? And how does that then help the swimmer take some giant strides forward? Yeah, I had a I had a parent contact me a couple of weeks ago of a girl who I've done a little bit of coaching with. And, uh, and she said, uh, she basically said like every time, this girl goes behind the blocks. She she just starts to doubt herself, and and it's that I can't I can't voice gets in the way, and it's it's impacting her racing. And she said, "I oh, look, can we can we do a session, or you know, could you have a, a talk to her?" But there's there's nothing that I could say that's going to get her to have that I can behind the blocks. It's that accumulation of of ex- experiences and those little successes built up in the water, out of the water, that's going to have her feel that confidence behind the block. So it's not like I could say the magic word and she's going to, to have that confidence. It, it is, you, you need to get that, that experience and that belief through all these, you know, all these different sessions and all these different, uh, different times. So it's, um, it's good to hear you say that. Cause that was, that was my, my thinking behind it. You know, as much as I'd, I'd love to be able to say the magic words and she would immediately just be confident and, and know that she could do it. Uh, as she's standing there behind the blocks, it's just not how how those things work. And so, what I said to the parent was, "I'll oh, look, come along to to these sessions, and uh, and and we'll work on that with her. We'll work on that in training, uh, because that's where she's going to going to get it." Uh, now, for for that, anyone who's a, who's a coach who's listening to this, um, you've got a you've got a course that's that's online. I think it's probably your first uh, course you, you've put online that I'd recommend to any coach that that wants to learn more about this stuff um so it's called called soft skills high high impact and a, a holistic approach to coaching swimmers can you talk a bit about that course what what people would learn or what people will learn in that course and and who it's designed for yeah well, uh, thanks Brendan. this is something that i've been obviously thinking about for a long time and, and see it as a critically important set of skills for coaches to have because it, it's interesting that, that, that uh, you know, like you, I get emails and texts and people will say, how do I change this? Or, you know, I'm, I'm coaching an age group squad in Rockhampton. How do I help them build confidence? Or uh, I'm coaching a team in Western Australia. Uh, they would all like to go to state championships, but I don't think they understand what commitment looks like or uh, 
I've got a, a really talented 15-year-old going to his first national championships. How do I help him with mental toughness and resilience to deal with the challenges? Of, and I, I thought, well, I get so many of those questions in seminars and and um, on the phone and laptop. So, well, instead of just writing an article about it, I want to actually do something more. I want to get in front of people and say, okay, confidence, commitment, mental toughness, leadership, team development, you can coach all those things. And uh, the, 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 you go online to the course and say there's actually an intro, then the first lesson is around confidence, for example. You go on and the video shows me out of pool, talking to some swimmers, working with some swimmers and talking how to build confidence. And so even on the theme of confidence, I have a very simple model for coaches to follow, which is this. Confidence is belief, how the athlete feels about themselves, the way they love, value and accept themselves as human beings, times evidence. Confidence is belief times evidence. The evidence is what we've just spoken about, all the things they do in training, their diet, their flexibility work, their driving, their training, their previous competitions. That's accumulating in that I can, in that big can. The other side is the belief, is how they feel about themselves as a human being. And largely that comes from the way mum and dad love, value and accept them up to about ages, uh, eight to ten years of age. So then I talked to the coaches in the video about saying, guys, so this is why it's critically important when you're trying to build the confidence of the young that you're doing a great job in the pool with outstanding coaching, building relationships, inspiring the athlete to do the training to the full extent of the potential. But you've got a relationship with the parents to talk to them about their role in reinforcing love, value and acceptance of their child and how they react after win and loss and some of those things. And, and the, the coaches work through the video. Goes, each video goes for about five minutes. Then there's an article which will cover this confidence is belief times evidence with a downloadable chart on the same content. And then there's some self-reflection questions about how they can then apply that learning to their own team. And and I, look, I really wrote a list down, Brendan, of the, you know, what are the key soft skills that coaches are always asking me about or we're working on? Definitely confidence. Certainly commitment is one. Uh, I remember having a talk to David Marsh, the great US coach, about if you could recruit swimmers on any one non-physical quality, what would it be? So you couldn't recruit on size, strength, swimming speed. What would you recruit on? And he said commitment. I said, that's a great, great line, mate. But the issue, again, we all have is can I measure commitment? Can I see commitment? And can I coach commitment? And Marshy's line was fantastic, and I, I still use it. He said, sure. He said, if a swimmer is committed, when you give them a choice between doing things the easy way or the hard way, they choose to do it the hard way. And, of course, the hard way is really the right way. So his example was, uh, looking at someone like Ryan Lochte, he said, he said, he has a choice approaching a wall. Do I breathe at the flags? Do I breathe two metres past the flags? Do I breathe just before I turn? If he's a committed swimmer, he will choose not me enforcing or making or insisting, but he as a committed athlete, he will choose to do things the hard way, the difficult way. He will deliberately choose a higher standard of training because that's where he wants to go. And so we watched Lochte and watched him go in the pool and he made that decision and not surprisingly the best underwater 
and probably best wall swimmer we've, we've seen for a long, long time. And so from that, I say to coaches, all right, well, if that's what commitment looks like, easy way, hard way. You coach commitment by showing swimmers the power of choice. You say choice easy, choice get better is to take four breaths inside the flags. The choice that's going to make you exceptional and the choice that will help you become the swimmer you want to be is this one, don't breathe inside the flags. Then I say to the swimmer, something as simple, Brennan, what choice will you make? What's your choice? You make the choice about the swimmer that you want to be and you show them the power of their choices. And once I get that, and I just sort of talk about in the commitment video, to the coaches, if you can show them the power of choice, show them what those choices look like, then you've coached commitment because you've shown them what commitment actually looks like in a day-to-day workout. So the course is all about that, showing coaches what it looks like to coach the soft skills of swimming that make such a powerful impact on their program. Oh yeah, and every every coach has had a swimmer, at least a swimmer like that. That's that's committed, makes the hard, or chooses the hard option. And it is just such a joy to coach those swimmers because you you look at, at what they're doing, you, you look at them making those decisions, and it's just it's a real joy to coach those athletes compared to swimmers who always take the easy option. You know, they push off the wall, they breathe first stroke, and uh, and it's you know they're, they're not doing the things that you know will make them a, a better swimmer. And that can be re- that can be very frustrating if you're doing that day in, day out. So by being able to have more swimmers be, make that commitment and, and make those those tough choices and, and they do it on their own without having to, to yell at the, the, the kids or, you know, to be, be telling them, no, they make those choices. I think it is, uh, it, it's so, so important. So that soft skills course, uh, it's on your website at wgcoaching.com and I'll put a link in our show notes as well for any coaches who um, would, like to, would like to get their hands on it. I think it's uh, so worthwhile and uh and i'll make sure that uh yeah it's, it's on our website so wayne thanks again for being on the podcast i really enjoy chatting to you and I, I always learn so much and it makes me want to go out there and uh and get coaching <laughs> every time that i speak to you so mate i appreciate you being on the podcast again but it's an absolute pleasure and i'll make sure i'll send through a special discount coupon code just for your listeners and the, the really to say thank you to you and to your listeners for your ongoing support over many years uh, I'll send that through to you. You can put that up on your website and that'll get all your listeners a, a discount on the course if they'd like to try. But, mate, thank you and I wish you a Merry Christmas and, mate, keep up the outstanding work. I don't think even you realise uh, the difference you're making to the sport and the impact you're having to the sport around the world. I appreciate it very much, mate, and uh, and I'm very lucky that I get to learn from from people like yourself and um, speak with great coaches and great athletes. I've, I've learned so much over the last 12 years of, of coaching, but probably more so in the last six years since I started the the podcast. So get to uh, speak to a lot of very smart people, a lot smarter than, than me, and uh, it, it makes a big difference. So I appreciate that very much. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.